The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen together to the good book's description of that first Easter morning as found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning with the first verse. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were, were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who, who said this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and, and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The women, Luke writes, were terrified and bowed themselves to the ground. The disciples, Luke tells us, were hiding, traumatized, dismissive, of good news. Somehow, Easter morning, as described in Scripture, always manages to be less cheery than I remember. <laughs> Every year, I expect the good book to launch our festive day with an ecstatic trumpet peal and shouts of hallelujah, and then I read, the women were terrified and bowed themselves to the ground. And then I remember the disciples were hiding, traumatized, dismissive of good news. No offense to scripture, but our first instinct after reading the Easter story might be to elevate the mood a bit, <laughs> throw some confetti in the air. Today, the faithful step out in high spirits. Ushers ought to hand out pinwheels and mimosas at the door. Let's get this garden party started. 
I'm tempted by this impulse. Who isn't? <laughs> it's been a heck of a year. Actually, it's been three long years since April 21st, 2019, when last we gathered here and sang, Jesus Christ is risen today. And the last two Easter's, I'll admit, it's been a little lonely in this sanctuary. Part of me wants to serve every brave one of you here and online a slice of thickly frosted coconut cake just for coming back. Here, enjoy, it's Easter. Easter though, real Easter, Easter as recorded in the good book, aims to put more than marshmallow peeps on our plate. Much more. The women were terrified, bowed themselves to the ground. The disciples were hiding, traumatized, dismissive of good news. Let's start here. Our celebration this morning is not, as, as critics sometimes claim, a festival of denial. On this score, the Bible leaves no doubt. The horrors witnessed on Good Friday were real. When scripture pulls back the curtain on Easter morning, we stand in a cemetery. On this holy day, we gather in a place where tears flow like the river, where grief is a given. So basically, right out of the gate, Easter turns us upside down. Every year, Christianity's big celebration of life happens in a graveyard. Every year, Scripture bids us watch as Christ's traumatized followers, in different ways, mourn the death of their beloved friend. In all this, Easter doesn't ignore the world's pain. It invites us to draw it close to contemplate it. Now wait a minute. Face, trauma, lean into suffering on Easter? Are you sure we shouldn't just pass out coconut cake? Trust me, says our tradition. The path to joy, real joy, as opposed to a brief hit of emotional sugar, takes work. It demands that we chew on a tough truth. Trauma is real. All people face suffering. It is inescapable. Learning to respond in healthy ways to suffering is the work of a lifetime. Now, Christianity is not, of course, the only faith peddling a, a disciplined and honest approach to suffering. Buddhism starts where Easter starts. The, the first great truth of Buddhism goes like this. Suffering is real. To reach enlightenment, you must wrestle with suffering, the world's suffering and your own suffering. And sadly, you're in luck. Because in this city, in this world, opportunities to wrestle with suffering are plentiful. 
Just this past week, an angry man in a gas mask pulled out a gun and began firing and turning the morning commute on the end train into a terrifying stampede. So really, we're not surprised when Luke tells us the women were terrified and bowed themselves to the ground. The disciples were hiding, traumatized, dismissive of good news. For Christmas, the Reverend Sarah Speed gifted me with a fascinating book entitled, The Body Keeps Score. The Body Keeps Score. The author, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, has spent a lifetime studying how traumatic experiences imprint on our brains. According to van der Kolk, trauma rewires us. It reorganizes our heads. It changes how we think. Healing from these wounds, van der Kolk says, requires that we face and not deny the places where pain resides inside of us. We can do this, the psychologist continues, if we befriend our traumas, if we ask them to share their concerns and their wisdom with us. Now, on reading this, my initial response was, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> befriend my trauma? What kind of fluffy psychobabble is this? But then I paused and sighed and remembered a Christian ritual that goes back to the sixth century, one that we practice today. On Easter, we Christians flower the cross. We bring blooms and decorate a device fashioned for torture. So yes, Suffering is complicated for people of faith. Sometimes we condemn it. Sometimes we venerate it. We're not entirely sure all the time whether it's friend or foe. One thing, though, we do know for certain. We know that suffering in this life cannot be avoided. A friend recently told me a story about her niece and nephew, two children, seven and nine years old, who up until this past September had been waiting for their turn to get vaccines. After they were finally able to get their jabs, the two kids hugged, tears began to roll down their faces. Why are you crying? Their mother asked. Relieved, they responded, we've been waiting for so long. And now, we're not going to die. Friends, we've been down an awfully hard road. The things we've experienced, the anxieties, the frantic pivots, the heartbreaking losses have marked us and our children. How many of you have heard someone say, I wish my kids didn't have to go through all this. I've said a version of those words more than once. These are loving sentiments. They, they come from a good place. They're shaped by our protective instincts. And yet these well-intended comments miss the point. 
the point of Easter. Easter doesn't wiggle its fingers, whisper a few magic words, and make trauma disappear. Easter points to Christ's suffering, to the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. Easter does this because it knows that suffering is the crucible in which we learn to be human, to be alive. Consider again those two children who wept after getting their shots. They worried that they might die before getting this protective measure. Seeing their tears, our our tender hearts want to save these children from that distressing weight. We're sure that their lives would be better if they never had to think scary or sad thoughts. But is that true? We will always, of course, do all that we can to protect children from harm. But at the same time, we know that all the bubble wrap in the world cannot completely insulate our kids or us from trauma. And this realization calls for a shift in our thinking. When trauma happens, as it inevitably does, will we be bold enough to ask... What can we learn from this? Now, what can we learn from trauma? (laughs) If we look closely, the two children waiting for those vaccines learned a lot. They managed to hammer out some hard-won truths. There's bravery in their actions, quiet bravery, an incredibly uncommon virtue in this selfish world. And there's reverence for life. And there's wisdom. In the midst of the pandemic, these two young souls were able to discern that what makes all of this so precious is that it's finite. It can be taken away from us. And this brings us to the second reversal of Easter. In the darkness before the dawn, Easter surprises us. The trauma of Good Friday has not kept Jesus' friends away. It has not sabotaged their love. The women come to the cemetery. Yes, they come with with trembling knees, but they carry so much more than fear to the empty tomb. Standing there, bravely holding baskets full of herbs, ready to anoint Christ's body, prepared to do some small good in the face of the world's great awfulness. The women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, embody Easter. They've suffered, and the experience, instead of crushing them, instead of making them bitter, has turned their hearts to courage and kindness. My nephew, Carl, is one of the sweetest human beings on the planet. Ten years old and on the autism spectrum, Carl exudes enthusiasm for swimming and dinosaurs and his dog, Lucy. Carl's joy is humbling. 
It's also tempered, which is another way to say strengthened by Carl's sensitivity. My nephew is more aware of the world's trauma than we often imagine. For example, at one point, in the heart of the pandemic, Carl began to welcome each new day by stating month, day, and year, coupled with an existential pronouncement. Today is April 7th, 2021, and I am still alive. <laughs> the next day, Carl would come down for breakfast and declare, today is April 8th. 2021, and I am still alive. These announcements struck Carl's grandmother and me as sensible, funny, and profound. I intuitively, you see, Carl developed his own healthy, honest, and even joyful way to acknowledge the trauma all around us. Every morning, he, he would wake confirm that his heart was indeed thumping along, and then cheerily report this fact to his family. I'm still alive. Psychologist Mark Epstein writes, when we stop distancing ourselves from the pain in the world, our own and others, we create the possibility of a new experience, one that often surprises us with how much joy, connection, or relief it yields. Here, my friends, is the third inversion of Easter. In the quiet of the morning, those closest to the suffering of Holy Week discover something. The trauma of the cross did not, could not, erase the love of God. The tomb is empty. Christ's heart still thrums. Jesus is alive. Alive, and, and it turns out, already back at work. Still healing, loving, freeing people from suffering, offering them new life. Today's bulletin cover reminds us that according to tr tradition, the first place visited by Jesus after his death is hell. He descended into hell, says the Apostles' Creed. There, Christ kicks down the devil's front gate and extends a hand to rescue an imprisoned and, and traumatized souls. Which, I suppose, is all of us. Lovely, faithful people. Easter's news is good, very good. Christ has embraced suffering and in so doing has transformed it. And this, well, well, this changes how we look at everything. Easter takes all the traditional categories that we have for evaluating our lives and the world all around us and tosses them out the window. Leslie Newbigin was a British theologian and ordained Presbyterian pastor who, who served most of his career in the mission field. 
in the church of South India. Somebody once asked Newbegin whether he was an optimist or a pessimist, and he replied, I, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Do you catch his point? Something's happened. Something odd. Something powerful. Something that totally changes how people of faith look at the world. As a follower of Jesus, says Newbegin, I must now view every element of my life, rain or shine, sad or happy, confused or broken, through the lens of Easter. What does that lens show? Many of you have heard me tell how every Easter, at some point during the day, my phone rings. When I pick it up, a voice with no introduction, no pleasantries of any kind declares, Jesus is on the loose. <laughs> and the next sound that I hear is the click of the connection ending. I know who it is. It's my roommate from seminary. This is his quirky way of saying Christ is risen. Now, over the years, other friends, including many of you, have joined in. Somebody at one o'clock this morning. <laughs> now I get all sorts of texts and emails declaring Jesus is on the loose. And honestly, it wouldn't be Easter for me without this giddy chorus, without this wild, joyful perspective. This rambunctious take on the world, you know, I think it can be traced back to the women who Luke tells us are turned upside down by Easter and who race off to inform the disciples. This same joy wraps itself around the heart of Simon Peter, who despite the trauma of the last few days, pulls on his shorts, surrenders to hope, and runs to the graveyard. And, and there, one look at a cast-off burial shroud has the disciple whistling with amazement. My friends, our annual peak into the empty tomb changes everything. It gets us up and shouting, he's still alive, Jesus is on the loose, but, but it doesn't stop there. Easter cheerily asks if we are still alive, if we are ready to love and live with deep joy. Howard Thurman, author, theologian, civil rights leader, once gave this advice. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. And go and do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Jesus is on the loose. Now, says Easter, what about you? Are you on the loose? Are you ready to celebrate life in a cemetery? Are you ready to stand with courage in places of suffering? Are you ready to extend your hand to those who are in hell? 
Are you ready to be fearful and brave all at the same time? What say you? Will you repeat after me? It's April 17, 2022. I am still alive. Okay, then, you know what to do. Christ is risen. Go from this place with joy in your hearts. May the spirit of Easter enliven your souls, transform the world's suffering, and empower us all to embrace the good because there's nothing else really to be done. After all, Jesus is on the loose. Alleluia. Amen.